It's a Justin Palmer show. Here we, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Justin Palmer show. Today's guest, Todd Monahan out of New York, New York. He's been working at Covenant House for over 20 years. He found Covenant House by coming through some of his own challenges, spending some time there. He talks about it on the podcast, how he met uh, a sister who was running the Cove at the time and has turned that into a beautiful 20-year career. His story is incredible. He lays out uh, everything from the heart on the podcast in this episode. I I always enjoy talking with him because he's just a, a real, raw human being who uh, is, is living the concept of giving back to his community. He, he's, uh, I, I love him. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. Check out covenanthouse.org. If you find it in your heart to donate to him, please do. If you just want to check out and spend some time, uh, check out their website. They're the largest homeless youth shelter in the country. It's, it's worth going down and paying him a visit. Here we are. Todd, what's up, man? What's good, buddy? How you doing, Jess? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to see you. It's good to see your face. Yeah, man. It's good. Uh, it's good to be seen, and uh, it's good to see you too, my my man. You uh, you got that Hawaii beard going, for sure. You got, uh, yeah, you got like powerful Aloha vibes going on right now, man. I'm Definitely. Good for you. I'm following you on the gram. I I see the family. Looks like they're adjusting really well. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's yeah. having fun. Yeah. It's uh, a, a different existence than New York City, for sure. Yep. Definitely missing the, the vibe. I think I'm missing a part of New York City that I don't know exists right now. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a, it's a weird thing how quickly we transitioned here. Yeah. It's, uh, you guys look like you're in another planet that looks like paradise. You know? uh, New, York City is, um, New York City has been through it. You know? It took some lumps. Um, but we're, we're slowly getting better, man. We're getting back up. You know, don't, don't, don't count New York out. Ever. You know, don't, don't ever bet against New York, man. That's just not something that's a good idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, it was, it's, been, it's been a tough couple of months, but um, New, York is, New York is coming back. Um, it's slow. It's not as fast as New Yorkers want it to be, but New York is, is going to come back gonna come back strong yeah what what's it been like because you're you're very close to Times square just where you exit live and work what what has it been like the last few months i know you've been in and out of the city but i think uh what's what's that been like i mean it's been it's been just i think a lot of different emotions man i mean it's been at first it was it was like panic and anxiety you know um although I, i was I keep on reminding my wife that I bought like a pack. I bought like a 10 pack of N95s at, in like the first week of February. Okay. <laughs> and so like, uh, so by the time mid-March rolled around when everybody was like, you know, this thing's going to really, um, really cause some problems and, and people really started bugging out and like evacuating the city and, and um, you know, offices and businesses started shutting down and schools started shutting down. Um, you know, I was whipping out the N95s like, like a champ. And, um, but then it was, uh, I guess, I, I think it was like March 13, right around there. 
right? Um, that week at least, um, where once once they've closed public schools, um, the city, and then and then also the weather was really rainy and overcast the last two weeks of March. I feel like, but the city was just, I mean, it was just desolate, man. It was just like it was something out of like a movie, you know. It was like it was like I Am Legend or something, man. It was yeah. like uh, no one, no one, like no one at all in the streets. Even at night, though, like the because we live on Tenth Ave, like you said little couple blocks west of, of Times Square. And so um, all the apartment buildings, the windows were all dark at night, man. Like everybody was gone, you know, everyone kind of split. And um, and then it was, uh, my so my wife, I have a five-year-old and, and a two and a half-year-old and we would just kind of, we, you know, we're fortunate, you know, we got the, the cars in the basement. You yeah. Know? So it was just yep. kind of like hop in the freight elevator, throw on the masks, get in the car and then, you know, we just, just drive around the city and, and, and it was just surreal because you're driving around, there's no one on the street. And then all of a sudden it's just like, um, you know, our, our favorite barbecue place is open. You know what I mean? So, and there's, and, it, and it's got, and I almost like didn't know, like, do I go in here? Do I like, um, you know, it was like, uh, tell you the truth, I remember going into like this barbecue place real, really well-known place over in the Flatiron. And like, there's like just one dude in there and he's like cutting the brisket and it's like in the middle of the pandemic and, you know, all kinds of bad stuff happening on the news. And, and I'm just sitting there in this place talking to this guy, ordering up some brisket and some like mac and cheese, you know, it was like out of a Kubrick movie or something. You know? That's <laughs> and, wild. Uh, That's yeah. wild. What, how did you but, know, uh, like, did you have a sense that something was coming to get the N95s or was it something like internally at, at, the Cove that it was like they were prompting you guys or you just knew? No, like, so it was, um, it was, I was watching the news, just like paying attention to different outlets. I mean, I, I think just, um, I always, I always keep my eye on the newspaper. Uh, I'm pretty good with that. And so, um, you know, I saw this, there was this thing happening in, uh, in Wuhan, China. And um, there were conflicting reports about, about how it was being contained and, you know, I think we saw um, the Chinese government was using drones and like significant lockdowns. And then also just through my network of friends, you know, like yeah. um, my brothers were, you know, some guys who were kind of people who were on the tech saying things like, um, you know, there's, there's a steady flow of folks from China coming into the United States and other countries. And, and you know, so this, this might be something. Um, and so, you know, I just fired up, you know, a couple of, couple of taps on the phone yeah. and uh, grabbed some, some masks. But um, I, I didn't think it would be, I didn't think it would be what it's, what it's become. You know, it's, uh, it's been, it's been, a re it's been sad, man. I mean, it's been a lot of people um, uh, displaced by this. And a lot of people, unfortunately, who, who got sick and died. Um, and um you know, I think that the economic effects are gonna are gonna also cause some some real problems socially. For sure. Country. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, what have you guys? Because um, you've been going to work for a couple months now. What What have you guys experienced at the Covenant House? Has it been? I mean, because you you've got the, the largest homeless youth shelter in the city. Yeah. What What has that been like? Because I remember we talked. I think we talked in like April or May. Some, somewhere around that timeline. I don't remember exactly when it was. And it was, I remember you mentioning that it, you guys had to really mobilize to, to get prepared and pull in some extra resources to, 
to help keep the the shelter clean and safe for everybody. Yeah, on any given night on the west side of Manhattan, we're sheltering upwards of 300 teenagers and young adults and single mothers and, and infants and toddlers. And when this hit, uh, we, we realized that we had young people who were sick, young people who had contracted COVID-19. And so what we did was um, in, our, in our building on West 41st Street, we, we, our eighth floor, it's an eight story building, we, we evacuated the eighth floor, the administrative floor, we converted all those offices to quarantine rooms. So we discarded the chairs and the desks and it was just a really, our staff are our, our heroes here, like our, our, our maintenance workers, our direct care workers, our youth advisors and social workers. Um, they were the ones to take action, clear out those offices. Um, our non-essential staff, like our support staff, finance, administration, they stayed home. And then um, we, we, we've always operated the health center at Covenant House New York. So we had um, doctors, licensed physicians and, and RNs and social workers and, and medical assistants and physicians assistants who, who, who staffed those floors. And so um, working in conjunction with, with uh, New York City um, and, and other in the state departments, we, we were able to um, secure testing. Um, the challenge for us was really PPE. Uh, you know, I think understandably, if you remember when the pandemic really started um, escalating here in New York City, which is really the epicenter of it in the United States, um, PPE was hard to come by and it, because it was being directed at hospitals, understandably so. Like medical professionals needed N95s. They needed face shields and gloves and, and gowns. Um, and so organizations like ours, shelters, um, uh, they were um, prioritized as part of that process, but we were able to secure that through supporters, uh, you know, and, and also like, like people like yourself who, who generously give to Covenant House enabled us to have the resources to, to, to purchase PPE, um, you know, when we, when we got a line on it and then, uh, but uh, there were there were a couple of boxes of of, of N95s and, and gowns and face shields that were on their way to Javits, and uh, let's just say they fell off the truck. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so yeah, so we, we were able to get by. And then I would say I would say um, you know we have an executive director at Covenant House. Uh, her name's uh, Sister Nancy Downing, and she. Um, she was our general patent, you know, she's at the site and she's, she's with the direct care staff and the staff are scared because the staff are, the staff are older, the staff aren't, you know, this, this virus, you know, affects older populations more adversely than it does younger populations. It affects people of color uh, more so at a disproportional rate than, than other folks. And so that's our staff. I mean, our staff are forties, fifties, sixties. Um, and, uh, and those people, they came to work every day. We stayed open 24 seven. Um, and so our young people, uh, we did have, we did have young people who were confirmed positive. We did have staff, um, but I'm happy to report no one needed emergency medical care. No one uh, needed to be hospitalized. Um, we were able to get by and, um, and we got by because of our community, you know, of, of our supporters. Um, and we got by because of our staff and our leadership. So, I'm thankful, man. I'm thankful. Um, now we're kind of we're at this place now where um, we're in this 
we're, we're participating in this recovery, right? Like we, we a lot of the young people um, who stay at our shelter, it's an employment focused program. They can't just be a covenant house and chill. They have to be working their plan. And so those young people lost their jobs. They lost, they were working in restaurants, they were dishwashers, busboys. They're working in retail at H&M and, and Starbucks. And so they lost jobs and they, um, and now we're working on getting those jobs back, but but also, of course, we have we're also in the midst of this of this civil rights movement, and that's also affected uh, these teenagers. You know, we, we we serve the majority of our young people are, are young people of color, and and um, and so and a large percentage of that are, are black youth, and so they've they're they've been um, really engulfed in a, in a difficult few months. And so as our, as our staff, our staff are a reflection of the, of the young people we serve. So, um, our, our focus now is on mental health, you know, um, like I, I think, uh, this, this whole pandemic, um, and, and then this also civil rights crisis has created a, an emergency, um, on the mental health front, you know, sure. um, it's like I know in my family, um, it, that's really been the focus, right? Like making sure that our kids, especially our oldest, um, that he's okay. And then you know you, you're so caught up in that, and for a second I realized you know my wife's not okay, and then I realized wait I'm not okay, you know. And right. um, and even the, the uh, Teddy, our two and a half year old, you know, uh, I, I think you know it even affected him too. So so it's like when you think about it, if you're a teenager or a young adult without anybody, um, I think, uh, that's even more difficult, you know, and that's a, that's kind of, um, for some of us, it's unthinkable, but they don't, they don't have that person to lean on that person, that, that mentor, that adult that they go to when they're, when they're frightened, when they're excited, when they're happy is, um, that's our staff, right? That's the men and women who work on the floor. That's the folks who are working in the programs and, um, and so uh, that's why it's so important for us to be there. But, but so there's a large emphasis on mental health right now, making sure everybody's okay to, to whatever degree, you know, if it means that they need medicine, that they need to be talking to a licensed social worker or therapist, um, we make sure that that's happening. Um, and then if it's, um, you know, if it's stuff that can be made, made healthy in a group, uh, we do that too. Yeah. Um, Can you do yeah, me a favor and just stay leaned in a little bit so that oh, the, the yeah, it's, yeah. it's all good. Yeah. No, it, I think, uh, I think understanding like the short term nature of the program and the monumental challenge that you guys have to try to turn these kids lives around and put, just build some basic momentum, right. For in, in a positive direction, um, is already a challenge and what you're describing I hadn't even really thought about it, but just that extra layer of what's happening in the world to, to, with these young kids, uh, has that been, uh, it sounds like it's been a real challenge. Yeah, it has. I, I mean, one of the things that, that was a real concern for us early on was the, was the flow of information. Uh, um, and it was, it was something that, you know, because they would read something that was unsubstantiated and false online. Because because young people experiencing homelessness, they have smartphones. You know, they they kind of do the pay as you go plan or whatever. But um, so if one young person like on the floor reads something um, that's 
not true, um, they'll, they're, they're, you know, it starts to spread. And so the staff had to kind of really keep people um, as, as really tuned in and relaxed as possible. And it's that, that was difficult to do, you know, um, like rumor um, and fear, uh, or I should say fear kind of fueling rumor um, was a thing. Uh, yeah. And then, and then the, the whole distancing thing, like, like we have 300 kids, um, we have 150 in Manhattan, another 150 in the Bronx. And, and so space isn't a luxury in New York city. And so, especially in, a, in an organization like ours, so, you, so you can't really distance, right? You can't, Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to keep that space. And, so, and some young people are, we have you know, three kids in a room sometimes they're larger rooms, but that's how we have to, how we have to be structured. So, um, that was, that was tough also. Yeah. Well, it's incredible that you guys were able to move through the, the storm of the pandemic without any major <coughs> health issues. I think, I think it's, uh, it, it sounded like when we spoke a couple of months ago, you guys were like really in, uh, not, not reaction mode. You were in like proactive execution mode, which is incredible. And yeah. I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you, um, cause I actually have never, we, we haven't really talked about this that much It just your day to day as a social worker. How did that journey start for you? Right. I mean, you, I think I, I can't remember how long you've been at covenant house, but it's been a long time. 20 years next week. Wow. Yeah. Or yeah. 20, 20 years, September one. Okay. Um, it's, it's September one next week. Well, it's close. Not next week, two weeks. Um, uh, I grew up in New York City. I uh, came up here um, on the east side, and um, and I, I grew up uh, with uh, my mom and my dad. Um, my parents were from Queens, and um, and you know it was a middle class upbringing. Um, both my parents worked, both worked for a long time, um, and uh, and so as a, as a young kid. Um, you know, as a teenager, you know, I, I mean, I love New York. I love everything about it. Um, I love the culture, uh, the museums, uh, the sports venues, um, the hustle bustle, um, you know, just the kind of the, the, the personality that like kind of quintessential personality of the New Yorker. You know, I've always felt like New Yorkers have common sense and are good people. We, we get a bad rap, I think, uh, in a lot of ways, I think there's a lot of like, uh, you know, movies and, and stuff like that. Uh, TV give us a bad rap. It's not true. Like, I think that's why everyone likes to come to New York because New Yorkers are really friendly. For sure. Um, yeah. And so, uh, um, yeah, as a young guy, as a teenager, um, yeah, I made bad decisions. Um, I started going down a wrong path. I struggled with drugs and alcohol. Um, and, uh, you know, I just got into graffiti and skateboarding and um, like, you know, you know, the expression that you don't want your kid hanging out with the wrong crowd. For like, sure. I, I, yeah. I was the wrong crowd. That yeah. was me. I was I was that guy. And, uh, <laughs> that makes and two so, of us. <laughs> yeah. And so um, uh, and I guess at first, you know, it was as a kid in New York City, it's that's kind of that can happen. Right. Like that's part of it. And um but, you know, as, as it went on and it kind of got into older adolescence and young adulthood, it, it doesn't, it's not fun anymore. You know, it could get serious and, 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 you know, you know, things, 
bad things started happening to like friends and, and things like that. And, and just, um, and also my relationships with family, you know, I've always, um, my family's been always been great to me. So I, so I started to really lose my way. Um, I thought I was lost man. I was, I was lost. And, um, up, up until like what age was that coming out? Cause I feel like in New York, you do grow, you do grow up fast, right? Even in, I mean, yeah. my, my son was there until this year at seven and I'm like the stuff that you, you grow up fast in New York. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess it was like, I, I, I found my way to Covenant House when I was about 23, 24. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, through that, like 16, you know, that, that kind of, I would say six, seven years there, um, my early twenties. Um, I just wasn't um, responding well to life, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and p- there were people that were were really concerned about me, and so um, I had a uh, a family friend, um, actually a friend of, of you know, he's a friend of my um, of my he was a friend of my parents, but he also knew my grandparents, my mother's parents, and he uh, another a Rockaway Queens guy. And um, uh, his name was Dick Schmelk, uh, Matt Schmelk's father. Oh, wow. Matt, Yeah, Matt's a friend of ours. Yeah. And so uh, Dick, uh, he introduced me to an, uh, the the president and CEO at the time of Covenant House International, a, a lady by the name of Sister Mary Rose McGady. And so um, I met uh, Sister Mary Rose and, and we had a long talk and... Uh, she told me I was going to come work for her. Uh, she didn't ask me if I wanted to come work for her. She, she told me I was going to come work for her, which if you knew her, um, that's kind of how she rolled. You know, she didn't really, she called the shots. Yeah. Uh, a New York, so, a New York young, uh, a New yes, York. Yeah. Young. Yeah. <laughs> I knew, I, yeah. I think I'm even a New York city icon, uh, because of what she meant to, to Covenant House and to young people who were enduring homelessness. And, um, and so I, I started working for her, like directly for her. And um, what, what were you doing? I, I'm just curious. Like, I, so I was doing whatever she whatever she wanted me to do. You know, um, I was uh, doing she had me doing some clerical stuff. Um, you know, looking back on it, it was I almost feel like her and her her uh, chief operating officer, Jim Harnett, who was a another great guy. Um, the, they were almost kind of giving me this kind of to like an overview of the organization, you know, from, and I, it was, it was, I was, it was, it was a privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it was, you know, to be able to be there with them. Um, because the organization had, had, had shelters in, um, I think 14 states and 14 major cities across the country. Um, some states had multiple houses and then they also had a, had a, you know, we have, we, we operate programs, residential programs in Mexico city, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Honduras. So um, at the time they were really kind of uh, um, having me do a lot of kind of administrative functions um, around that. But that was, that was, that was pretty short lived before they, they, you know, she told me that, um, you know, what she, I was, that was my inspiration to, to go to social work school. I went to Fordham university. I finished, I got my degree and I was, and I went to Fordham university for a master's in social work and, and, right here in Manhattan and Lincoln Center. And then I started working um, directly with, with teenagers and, and young adults and single moms and their children at Covenant House New York and, uh, in a clinical role. 
Mm-hmm. I was um, uh, working at the program and, and um, working alongside staff and, and making sure that we were, um, you know, that we were doing the best we could to to provide for those young people and, and making sure that we were empowering them with with the best plan possible um, so that they could they could achieve independence and and um, and live healthy and, and stable lives a lot easier a lot easier said than done for sure yeah it's uh it, were, were you going to college and working at, at the cove at the same time yeah yeah so you stayed yeah. involved i mean that must have been a real incredible experience to be able to study what you're actually doing you know what i mean where like you were seeing it it's not it wasn't theory for you which i think is a lot of people go to school and they just go to school Right. They're, they're not working or they or if they're working, mm-hmm. it's like they're working some part time job. It's like an entry level job. Um, I feel like it, especially having watched you move through the shelter and having, you know, we've spent a lot of time together just like talking, talking to kids or doing different events. And yeah, I, you you absorb it like you you live it. Right. It's who you it's who you are right yeah. now. And uh, that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, it was. um you know, looking back, it was, uh, you know, I had I had these angels who would like look out for me, man, because it was, um, like you said, so I'm working there, like they, I'm working there as like a youth advisor and um, I'm going to school, right? And then I would do part of my clinical internship in like the mental health program because Covenant House offer, you know, it operates multiple programs. They, they really, uh, it's not just a shelter, it's a lot more than that. And so, um, but when I look back on it as like a, a guy who was trying to get a master's degree and get a license and, and, and really s- devote the kind of time and attention to that curriculum. I had a lot of really great people who were, who were really tolerant of me, man, you know, and they were, and they were just really supportive and uh, really nice people. You know, I, I, I um, you know, I think the same thing kind of goes on today, but it's, it's just, that it's different. Like it's, um, you know, um, I just feel, um, I feel blessed that, that I had kind of come across a lot of people who were, who were really nice to me and, and, um, they just worked with my schedule and, but yeah, I, I worked, I went to, I started, I was at school full-time working full-time. Um, you know, I was, um, I was just making it work, man. Um, and then I, I also had, uh, I had, but I also had my parents, um, if it wasn't for my father, I wouldn't have made it through all that. You know, um, he was like, and he was like there for me to help me out, you know, um, you know, cause I was, I was renting a, a one bedroom apartment on the East side. And so it was like, um, it was a lot of rice and beans, man. Yeah. It was a lot of rice and beans. Um, but at the same time, I got I quickly, um, found some purpose, you know, and, um, people tell me that told me that I had, that I had a good way with with some of these kids. And uh, I, I like to think that had to do with the fact that I also, you know, I grew up in the city. I spent a lot of time in the boroughs as a teenager and things like that. And um, and so, uh, you know, I also was aware of the temptations out there and I'd kind of done my, had my experience with that. And, and, and so um, it was something that, uh, you know, I felt like um, for, for a long time, for those years where I was really kind of, where I was really lost, um, I felt like this was giving me an opportunity to, to make it right, you know, or, or, and to kind of um, 
I also felt I felt indebted to 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 Sister Mary Rose. I felt like I owed her for for um, giving me that opportunity, and I felt I felt like I owed uh, Dick Schmelk too. And it wasn't. I think I was like ten years ago. I was ten years in when when uh, um, when uh, Sister Mary Rose passed away, um, and um, and so that was tough. I think it was about eight years ago, um, and. Uh, you know, she had done so much for so many people. I was just, you know, kind of like a name in the middle of the list, you know, of, of thousands of individuals. Uh, she was a real powerhouse. Uh, and then Dick Schmelk, you know, he said to me, I remember him telling me, um, uh, like I was used to thank him all the time profusely. And then he said to me, he said, Todd, Todd, stop thanking me, man. <laughs> I said, and then he said, he said, we're, we're more than even, you know, they, uh, I get, you know, I, you've, uh, you've done well there. And he said, he, and he also told me, you know, um, uh, you know, how happy he was that it worked out. And so um, that felt good. You know, I felt, a, I felt a little lighter on my feet, but I, but I, I hung around for another 10. Um, yeah. And I, and I started to get involved in, um, in fundraising and working with, you know, good, good folks like you and, and, and Matt and other people who, um, who help us keep our, our shelter doors open and, you know, keep the lights on and the food hot, so to speak, like people who, um, sit on our board and, and just some really incredible families that, um, uh, you know, just really wonderful people who are just super generous and, and, and their families, there's, there's stories to their families and, and you, you learn about what motivates them to, to help, help some of these help our young people. And, um, it's, it's inspirational, man. It's been, it's meant so much to me. It's meant, you know, I've, I've, I've really brought Covenant House into all my relationships. You know, I met my wife there. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I met my wife. Um, I was, she was a case manager. She was a volunteer and then she just really wanted to get a job. So, you know, as she'll, she'll, as she would tell it, she was, a, she volunteered at first and then um, because she really wanted them to hire her and then they hired her and she was a, she was a, uh, a youth advisor, a resident advisor in the, uh, in our transitional living, independent living rights of passage program. And, um, and so, yeah, I saw her at, an, at the elevator one day and, and she, you know, she would have talked to me. And so, um, I just made it my mission to, uh, to get her to pay, you know, pay attention to me. And then, uh, I fooled her into, uh, I fooled her into going out with me and then I fooled her into marrying me. So, so you um, knew right away when you saw her. Sounds yeah, I mean, I knew. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was. Um, yeah, I mean, I knew. I knew that. Uh, I knew I definitely needed to need to get to know this person. Uh, yeah. And then once once that started, um, I, I got hooked pretty quick. Um, yeah. You're the second then, person this week. I just talked to a buddy of mine, Victor Reyes, who said the same right. thing about his wife, and that's how yeah. I met my wife. It's just interesting that that keeps coming coming together. Yeah, I mean, I mean, also, you know, we're going to say that because our wives are probably going to watch this. I hope mine doesn't. <laughs> I hope she never listens um, to any of my podcasts. Yeah, but no, but the, the truth is, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I, I don't know if, if you're mean like love at first sight. I'm not sure about that, but it was like, um, was I was I infatuated? Was I obsessed with her? Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, I, I kind of um, really wanted to talk to her and um, wanted to really know what this person was about, you know, and um and then when, when that started, uh, um, I remember, I didn't know, you know, it's like, it's like that, you know, she said that she would go out with me. And, um, so it's, you know, we've only talked a handful of times. Right. And so, um, 
I, I'm thinking, what do I do with this girl? You know, like, what, what should I do? What's fun for a date, right? And um, I, uh, I text her, uh, hey, you know, because I'm thinking, you know what, there's this great, it was a great ping pong place at the time on 23rd and like Fifth Avenue. I forgot the name of it. Oh, was it the place that was like underground? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. I remember that. Yes. I can't remember the name either. It was like this, it was like this, uh, uh, what was the name of that place, man? I don't even remember, dude. But it was, um, it was like a trendy ping pong club, right? Yeah. Like it was super trendy. And I think it was like Susan Sarandon's boyfriend owned it. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. Random. And, um, and so, and, uh, I, I don't even know if someone put this in my ear or what, man. But I, so I text her and I'm like, hey, do you pay ping pong? And she writes back right away, only in championships. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I don't even know, like, I, you know, I'm getting to know this girl. And that's her response, like right off the bat. And so once I saw that, I was like, you know, this, uh, this, this could, this could be something here. You know, yeah. she's got a, she, you know, she's got a counterpunch, right? Yeah. And, um, and so then I, and then I picked her up and she had on like, she had on like four inch high heels. Um, and, uh, and and we and, and then and it's, we went to play ping pong. She was surprised that I was bringing her to play ping pong, um, but she was like, oh, "Oh, we're really going there?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And I think maybe thought I was joking or something, you know. And um, and then, uh, uh, you know what else? I took her to get there. I was like, a, I'm like a big bus guy. I was a big bus guy at the time, a New York City bus guy. Like I love the bus, and so you know, I, I took her on the bus, and um, you know, we joke about it now because she's like, it was so hard to get on that bus with those high heels and then <laughs> and then get off the bus and then go go down the steps to the ping pong place and then play ping pong and I was like you know I'm like kind of putting some English on the ball you know what I mean and so you were it, throwing it, didn't it last. yeah I was throwing it down a little bit I was like you know the, the backhand the forehand I was putting a little English on it and um it did it did it we didn't play for too long you know um we, did you let we, him uh, win? I, I might have. I might have. Met. I don't even know, dude. The but good thing is you don't was, remember. <laughs> right. And then uh, and then it was out of there and, uh, you know, took a walk or got something to eat or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, with, with so meeting my wife at Covenant House, it was like, um, it's what it's it was it was what we call cove love. Mm. Um, uh, and uh, and it worked out. Thank goodness it worked out. Um, because we have two beautiful boys and uh, and we got one on the way, man. You do? Oh, wow. Dude, congratulations, man. Holy Thank you, brother. shit, dude. Yeah, You're going to um, be packed in in New York City. I know, dude. I That's know, incredible. Man. I'm you, following your footsteps, pal. Joining the threes you know? club. That's right. It gets yeah. crazy. I feel Patrick. like um, with one... You're like, okay, this is we can do one on one, you know, like the other person can go to the gym or go whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Two is like you're in deep water, right? Like there's no there's mm -hmm. no more like man to man coverage or like in you know, you can go take a break or whatever you need to do. And then yeah. three, you're just enjoying it. That's my that's been my experience. Like with the baby now, I'm like, man, you we're not stressing about the, the kid's got a rash or like what, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> like no, no blood, no foul. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's incredible. What's, this, what's the age spread? What are you, what's your age spread? Uh, I've got almost eight next month, five. Oh, wow. And then the baby is 18 months, 19 months, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So That's there's a couple, crazy. it's a nice gap in between all of them. It definitely yeah. makes homeschool uh, 
a, a worthy challenge for, for my wife, for sure. Cause everybody's doing, you know, my son, my, my oldest is like, dude, this kid is blowing through books. He like started reading yeah, it's great. last year and he'll sit, he read, I think he read all of Charlotte's web or 80% of Charlotte's web in like one sitting one evening. And, uh, he, he, you know, so he's got that independence. The middle one is like, she needs constant, constant attention for the homeschool stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, the baby's the baby. She's, she's yeah. the center of the show. We call it the, uh, we call it the Camila show. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That's yeah, great. The reading is, is everything, man. I mean, my wife, um, I remember she came to me and showed me a picture of like something she saw on the gram. It was like, uh, uh, just shelves down the wall. And, um, she wanted to put these, make a wall, a whole wall. It's like, a, it's a small wall, but she wanted to dedicate that to books. And it, and it kind of looked like a retail bookstore, the way it was arranged. Cause like the books are facing out and, um, and she said that, uh, you know, if we do this, it'll really encourage reading. And I, you know, um, she's really kind of the lead on a lot of the kind of rearing and educational stuff. And so, um, I, I went to Ikea and, and bought the shelves and, I put these shelves up during the Super Bowl, during the last Super Bowl, the San Francisco, Kansas City Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I remind her of that all the time. But I, I, instead of watching that game, I was putting shelves up. But um, she was right, you know, the way the book, like she's she's got these books on the wall and our five-year-old, he's always going over there and grabbing one and hitting the beanbag. And uh, I mean, he's doing like the Dick and Jane books right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, you know, I think it was, it was a good play. You know, so that, that's good that your oldest is really getting after it. Yeah. Well, mom, moms always know, right? It's the same thing here. It's like mom, moms always know. You got to just trust the moms. Yeah. Yeah. They're like on the, on the vlogs and on the, the mommy blogs and, and all this, man. I can't even keep up. Yeah. I'm, I, I have to like listen to some of this stuff and it's like, uh, you know, um, on parenting a five-year-old and, um, I just, I just feel like, you know what, man, like my boy's name is Tate and it's like, you know, this all sounds good, but I'm I'm like the contrarian, you know, I'm like, you know, this lady sounds good and she's like really make it, she's got that Deepak Chopra thing going. But, um, but if she ever had to deal with like the Tater Saurus for like three hours straight, you need her alive, man. You know what I mean? She would, she would pack up the vlog, dude. Totally. She'd shut the channel down, man. If she had to, if my, she got my little guy when he was like hangry. Right. If he was like hangry, he'd just tear her up. So. Hondo, it, I, I think every parent goes through that where you're like, oh, that's not for my kid. Right. You're like, right, yeah. this is not for my kid. It's, yeah. I, I've tried to read some of those books too. And it's, it's real hard to put that much intention around it mm-hmm. where it not, I, I try to bring a different type of intention around it. Right. Where I'm just like, let's be fully present in, in this moment. Let, yeah. me, let me get on their level. And that's when I've experienced, we all have the most fun. Right. So your wife, right. it, that's pretty interesting that you guys shared that so the sort of core values around helping people. I mean, I'm sure that's helped you know, in their relationship. You know, that, that was like a bigger deal than, that was a big deal. Um, because like when I, like as a young guy in, in New York City, like, and just like making my way, you know, and it's like you meet people and it's like, what do you do? Well, well, oh, I, I work at, uh, you know, this investment bank or I, I work at this ad agency or, or um you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, um, which are great things. Um, 
And then it's like, I work at a homeless youth shelter. And it's like, oh, that's your job? Or like, I have an aunt. Like I'm like right now, I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I'm a senior executive at Covenant House. Like I'm, I, I, uh, I work in, in our, in our fundraising team and, uh, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm a senior vice president. I have an aunt and she always says to me, um, when I see her, she's like, Oh, Hey honey, are you still volunteering with those wayward children? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yes. I'm like, yeah, I still am. Um, and she's like, Oh, that's nice. But you know, and she's always like, well, maybe you should call your cousin Call your cousin and see if he can get you into the, you know, the laborers union, or, or, <laughs> or you know, or or you know, get you on the fire department or something. And because um, I, you know, I don't think she thinks that I'm actually this is my career. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Right. And so, um, but also because like, I, and I would, you know, I would meet, I would, I would date girls, and um, um, they they weren't really down with it, man. Like it was. Like that as a career was like, I wouldn't say it's kicking stuff up, but it was like, um, it wasn't what they had in mind. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? For their, for their partner, for their husband or whatever. And so, uh, with, with Amanda, with my wife, it was like, like she was all in on Covenant House. Like even like for the last, you know, seven, eight years as uh, that we've been, that we've been married, um, there have been moments where she's she picks me up, you know, because because this work is hard, because you know, our young people we work with do falter and because and just like any profession, sometimes it can it can weigh on you and, and the subject matter that we're dealing with can be tough. So but she's the one who kind of you know, she's sharing anecdotes with me where like um she shares stuff I didn't even she never told me before, you know, about like like some of the young girls she was working with when she was there and, and um uh, she believed in it from day one. She's she still does, um, and she's so. Um, yeah, I, I I don't think I would. You know, I've been I've done. I guess I've done okay in my role there, um, and um, I wouldn't have been able to do that uh, if it wasn't for her. Not just because she's you know the leader of our family you know, on the home front, but because um, she's also kind of one of those people. You know, there's maybe one or two others, but she's a big part of like keeping me inspired and you know keeping me going 110 miles an hour every day. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. It's funny how the universe just provides that in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's about values, you know, and principles, you know, and um, especially when you want, like when, you know, we're gonna go do this life thing, we need a spouse who um, who uh, who kind of matches, aligns with, with our stuff, right? And, uh, and how, you know, can help guide us too, you know, I mean, um, is your wife entrepreneurial? Is she? Is she kind of? Uh, I mean, she she packed those suitcases when you bought those one way tickets to Hawaii, man. So, I'd imagine she's got some. Uh, she's like, you know, I know she's she's she must have a kind of determination and an adventurous kind of spirit to her too. For sure, yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because as you're talking, I'm I'm in the moment realizing just how incredible my wife is in terms of match up with me because. Um, I'm definitely the adventure seeker, right? I'm like, hey, let's go mm -hmm. jump out of planes today, <laughs> which we've done together. Um, <laughs> and she, my wife actually grew up very conservative. She's a first generation immigrant from Uzbekistan. Oh, wow. And, <clears throat> excuse me, they came over, she came over with her mom, her dad, and her sister on a refugee program. And literally, they came over with nothing. And um, I think that was around 2004. 
I met her in 2005 and, um, Where'd you meet? Uh, we met, I, I went to college at, at Baruch in the city. Oh yeah, 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 great and school. Great, great school. This is similar in terms of like that connection point where when I saw her, I was like, oh, there's something there. I don't know what it is. I was too like young and not fully developed in my frontal cortex to really understand what it was, but I knew yeah. there was something there. And I was, this is how the universe provides, man. I was in a public speaking course and I was the only person that was born in the United States. So like when I would go give my speeches, I would be yeah. fucking trembling. And people were like, that was the best speech ever. And I'm like, it's just because I'm so comfortable with English. Um, but it worked out great for me. You know, it, I, I yeah. helped her with preparing for some of her stuff and we just kind of got to know each other. And then I was actually dating somebody else at the time. And so was she. And it, the semester came to an end and something just told me like, you better go say something now. <laughs> and we just sat down and like had a conversation and she, my wife's very conservative. And she was like, I don't know what, like you're dating someone, but what, like, what is this? And <clears throat> I didn't really have an answer. You dog, you man, so, you're a dog, dude, bro. I, just, I love it. You know what it is? <laughs> I planted the seed. And then as it happens, I, we met, I met her sister who I'd never met before in a bar a year and a half later. And she uh, was like, my sister is coming. And I asked her, I was like, are you from Uzbekistan? She's like, yeah. And I was like, do you have a sister? She's like, yes. And I was like, is her name Anna? She's like, how did you know that? And I was like, you guys just yeah. have, you, I could tell that you were family. And from, we started dating after that, I, we started hanging out. And I mean, I knew similar, right? We're like, I just knew right away. Right. She's, she's been, uh, she, I, I put her through, I, I stretch her on the growth stuff for sure. Right. It's mm -hmm. every time, uh, she's feeling like we're getting settled in. I'm like, Hey, let's go live in a van. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's gotta, she's gotta have some tolerance, man. Some patience and tolerance for sure. Yeah. Well, I've, I've mm -hmm. also learned to like really, uh, involve her in that, in my thought process, instead of, um, going on the ride by myself and then being like, Hey, here's where we are. This is like, we're going to go yeah. right away, you know, which is, I feel, I feel like that's like an art as well in a relationship, you know? Sure. But it was, yeah. it was values. Like we both valued family over everything. I grew up, um, in a single parent household. And so she, she grew up, her parent, her family is like the most loving family you could possibly imagine when i met her parents even though they barely spoke english the interest that they took in their kids and everything they were doing i was like i'd never seen that and mm. it was just a really beautiful thing to for me to see it was it was a hundred percent what i needed in my life and my wife has yeah. been a big part of me moving past some of the stuff like i i was rambunctious as a kid uh, you know, hang, hanging out with the wrong, I, I was also that kid that you didn't want your kids hanging out with. And so mm. were my friends. Right. Um, and my wife gave me that space to really move past that. Like a lot of it is, as you and I've talked before, it was around growing up without my father and the, the challenges that I experienced in that were, um, it, it, it pushed me to, to the edge many times from, from my own experience. Right. And I'm, I realized looking back on it now, how important it was for me to go through that experience, to be able to start that journey of like 
writing the book and sharing it and figuring out how to put that into the universe to, to help. Right. Was there a father figure or, or like when you say that you grew up without a dad, cause you never really told me about that. Like, was there, was there anyone who supplemented that at all or no? Um, there was, my mom was married several times or like dating, you know, it was kind of, it, it was a roller coaster at my house, right? We would have like two years where she was married and then she was getting divorced and they were moving on. Yeah. And so it, I never, I never identified with any of those people. And like my dad, my dad came in and out. It's not like, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't there 0% of the time, but he was probably there like 10% of the time. And, uh, I think that was even more challenging <clears throat> for me. Where's he now? Uh, he lives uh, in Orange County. Orange County, California. California, yeah, yeah. So, and we talked. I, ma- I made peace with him earlier this year, actually pre pre COVID. I had processed it, and uh, oh, wow. I I took him to dinner when I was out there, and I had this like four hour dinner where I was like, "Look, man, I don't. I've processed this, and I don't have any." pain there's no charge around it anymore which had i mean i can't explain how intense it was that this, this was driving most of what i was doing right in, in both positive and negative ways um and i needed i came to a point where I, it was going to push me over the edge uh one way or the other if i didn't just face it down right and so i i, I took some time uh i processed it I did some Tony Robbins stuff, which was incredible. And I, I was able to move through it. Right. And like the, what I realized yeah. is that the, and it's probably easy to realize at 38 years old is the only reason why it has a charge is because I'm choosing to let it have a charge. Right. And I just wasn't mature enough for 20 years of my adult life. <laughs> to, to really get my arms around that. And I'd never taken the time to even think about it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Right. I, mm-hmm. I had, I hadn't taken the time to process anything. So it's, you know, there was people, my mom was great about like, if I had a coach that took an interest in me, my mom would make sure that like, I got that coach the next year. Right. She would, she would make sure that I kind of had these connection points and, um, she planted seeds, but as a teenager, you know, every, everybody goes through different things. Right. And sure. It, I, I mean, I had a wild experience, man. I, I was wild. Yeah. And I, I didn't really know why. And I was just pushing the limits and see, I was just trying to find out who I was at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I look back, like I reflect back and like, I also think, um, I think like this whole pandemic forces you to reflect on life up until now. Definitely. And, it, and it, there's this like kind of default kind of mode that I go into. And, and it was, it was more so like the early days, like March, April, where I just found myself thinking about, cause like you, there's this overarching kind of um, theme of, of, of like sickness and death and um and and that's part of the anxiety right that's what's kind of that's like what's fueling some of this these manifestations of of different mental health stuff and so um you know and and uh, you know i I had a i had a good relationship with my father um 
you know, it was some of it was complicated, like I guess every father son relationship can be. But he was, you know, um, we were close, especially in the last uh, 15 years. And um, actually, yeah, like it, 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 it grew. And so, but like you think about what, how my kind of journey through childhood and adolescence and then, and then adulthood, um, I was just driven by fear, man. Like, like a lot of it was fear, you know, it was, uh, you know, I didn't really, I didn't know what, you know, I, I didn't really understand what faith was. Mm-hmm. I didn't, um, I mean, I was a little boy, you know? And so even as a little kid, I was, um, I was scared. What, what you were know? you scared of? Like, if it, have you, have you spent the time to think about that or like, what, you know, what, what was the center of it? If you don't, if you don't mind sharing. I mean, man, man I, I, I look, I think I, part of it, I think was, might've been biological. You know, I just was, you know, my, my dad, I think was also an anxious guy. Um, but uh, also it was, um, you know, he was also a real charismatic kind of imposing kind of intimidating guy. So I think there was some of that was there too. Um, and then, um, you know, I just, I just kind of looked to my left and my right and all these other kids, they seemed to get it. I didn't really get it. You know, I was like faking it till I made it, you know? And, um, uh, that was, um, that can, that, that, that for me kind of causes, um, cause some of the stuff, uh, to kind of treat some of that anxiety. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't I know do. about you, but I was like, um, there's just some of the that the, the rambunctiousness, you know, the the kind of uh, you know the, the machismo um, stuff is just um, manifestations of fear, you know. It still is right you know, today. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, I can definitely relate to that for sure. I mean, I've I've processed it in a really deep way because I've taken mm-hmm. I've I've allowed myself to kind of step back and see it for what it was. I was just a kid, right? I I, I can see it clearly for what it was. I was just a kid. Mm -hmm. And without that experience, I wouldn't be in this moment right now. You and I wouldn't have met, right? We, we, none of nothing would have happened the same way. And it, it took me a long time, especially in the, in the context of doing what I chose to do professionally, where, um, you know, the commercial real estate business is an extension of Wall Street today. And going into that business, I, I always knew I could make, make it, right? I, w- I always had this like confidence in myself that if I could just turn my focus towards something, I knew I could make it because I I just experienced so much as a youth that I felt mm. um, I have that resilience within me, right? Yeah. And when I went and started working in New York on a professional level, it, there, there was a big imposter syndrome because I looked around me and I saw all these kids that had grown up and I, I'm like a full on adult, right? I'm like late twenties at this time. And I've seen these kids that have grown up and the back, the typical background is like, you went to this high school, you went to this very well-known prestigious college, your family is this. And I was looking around, I'm like, fuck man, I am the only dude, like, you know, Goggins style, if you've read Goggins where I'm like, I'm the only guy in here that's a high school dropout that doesn't have like a regular family, that grew up without a father, that was into drugs and alcohol as a kid and got in trouble and got arrested and all that stuff. 
And it was, it was isolating because I, 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 I isolated myself, right. Mm. From the standpoint that I didn't allow any of that to come through. And as I started to, as I got more comfortable and, you know, I started my own company, I built that thing. Uh, we bought a lot of property and I still hadn't faced that stuff down. Right. And there, it just came to a point where I needed to make peace with all of that before I could move on in the next chapter of my life or that, that became the focus of that chapter of my life. Right. Which has been the last couple of years. And there was some stuff, there was one thing that really sticks with me. I read a book by Mark Devine. Um, I think it's called Unbeatable Mind. And he has a, in the middle of the book, he has a chapter where you write your own obituary if you're up for it. Right. He asks you to do that. And I did that one morning in New York and it changed the way that I think about life where I'm making decisions now saying, if I've got, if a doctor's telling me or someone's telling me I have one week to live, would I invest my time in this? And if the answer is no, then I'm, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. And I, and I, um, you know, I, I, someone, someone, I don't know if they must've read that book. They, they, I, I was speaking to a, a close friend who asked me to, to undertake that same exercise. Mm. Um, and it was, it was a couple of years ago. And, um, uh, it was, it was, it felt great. Um, and it felt great because, um, because of in particular how I've lived my life, um, you know, the past 15, 20 years, um, you know, I was able to, you know, I feel really proud about, about what I, you know, the small part I played in, in like accomplishments at Covenant House and, and about, um, you know, my family. Um, and so, uh, it's, uh, yeah, I've been, I've been looked out for in that regard. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, I mean, I made plenty of left turns when I was supposed to go right. Um, and I, I really spent, I think most of my twenties, um, you know, doing that. Um, but, um, you know, the, the last, last 15, um, have been, have been really good. And, uh, I think it's a great exercise to get into, you know, reflect and stuff like that. Another thing that some, a guy told me once was, um, was kind of a, ref, uh, a guided meditation and, um, he, he asked us to, uh, it's like a retreat I go on every, I go the twice a year, uh, with a group of guys, great guys. Um, and so we're, we're doing this guided meditation and this, uh, you know, he's, he was a priest, a sober priest. And, um, he, uh, he had us envision ourselves at 16 mm. and, and, and he was, he was good about it. He was clever because, you know, he, made, he asked questions or he kind of got you thinking about the detail. So I, I had this conversation with my 16 year old self, you know, and, um, and, and the, and the way he did, framed it, I'll never forget it. You know, he kind of, he, he was like, he gave us a couple of seconds to, you know, think about the most important things you want to tell that that young man, um, that child, um, and uh, we didn't have much time with that person, and so 
what I chose to tell him is, uh, you know, things are going to get, you're going to be scared and things are going to, you're going to make mistakes, but everything's going to be okay. You're going to mm. be okay. You know, and so, so try not to be afraid. Um, and so for me, um, that kind of unlocked a kind of more spiritual kind of connection, conscious connection with God that, um, that I've been working on slowly, real, real slow. Um, but something that's kind of been um, important, you know? Yeah, that's um, incredible. Yeah. Have you, um, have you read any Deepak Chopra stuff? You know, I haven't read him, but I've, I've met him. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I met him. Uh, I met him at our, at our sleep out event. Okay. Um, he's a, he's a, technically, he's a Covenant House supporter. Uh, and he um, and I've met him. I met him on a number of occasions, but um, and I've and I've also uh, participated in a guided meditation that he led. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like Deepak Chopra. Okay, yeah, I heard of this guy. You know, I'm I don't really I'm not really sure who he is. I know he's like the guru, um, but when that dude leads a guided meditation, you you get it. Yeah. Right away. And it was a difficult circumstance, man. It's like, a you know, we're in the shelter. We're in like the community room, like Pride Hall area, we call it. It's hot. There's no AC. It's like fall, November. Um, and we're holding hands and, and Deepak is bringing us through this. And it was like, so, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Um, but this guy was really good. I mean, he's got a wicked fastball when it comes to meditation. Man. For sure. Um, yeah. And then, and then I, and then I got to see part of, he did this, um, he did a show similar to this, um, with a donor that invited me to, to, to be in the audience. And I thought he was really good. Um, so, um, I know he's been a big part. He's been a big inspiration to you recently. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, f- I finished reading MetaHuman a couple of weeks ago. I've been talking about this a lot because, um, I, I would definitely recommend reading that book. It's, I, it's hard to do it justice because, and I also, I took it one of my goals this year and I, same with you, I had never even explored spirituality <clears throat> in any sense. Right. Mm. Um, and something just kind of came to me where I was like, let me check out this Deepak Chopra guy. Cause I hear, you know, he's like a guru or something. Let me just see what mm-hmm. it's all about. And so I picked three books to read and I read a book that he wrote in the early two thousands. And then a book that he wrote recently that's like, you are the universe. And then I just picked uh meta human, uh, which is, I think it's one of his latest books. It was, I, I, I it's hard to find words to describe the experience of reading that book at the place that I'm at on a conscious level, right? It's, yeah. It was, uh, I've experienced extended periods of just extreme quietness and calm internally um, for two, three, four, five, six weeks. And then inevitably sort of, I would flow back to that, that place of chatter uh, mm. in my mind and MetaHuman just turned something completely different. It it was um, it was a really beautiful experience to just read read that and the way he talks about just being in the constantly being in the moment just quiets your whole experience, um, which mm-hmm. is which is incredible. And so that's amazing that you've met him. I would 
I would definitely recommend like reading or listening to to MetaHuman if if you're interested in in it and for anybody that's listening because I think at any point in your journey you can take something away from that book and it's definitely a book that I will read regularly right it, I just found yeah. it so so powerful yeah. uh, and I wanted to ask you what as you've grown in your social work right I I, I want to give people a sense of what your day-to-day is because it to me when I've seen you I've mostly seen you in the context of like you and I talking to a few kids, right? In, in a small room, but right. the intensity of that work day to day is, I, I just want to give people a sense of it to the extent that you can share kind of like what that day looks like or how it's evolved for you. Um, because I, I think it's a, it's a beautiful thing that that's what you've chosen to do with your life is to give back in, in this like really passionate and meaningful way. Yeah. So right now, um, you know, our, our, our direct care staff, our essential workers are, they're the ones who are on the floors with our young people, making sure that they have what they need. Um, we've begun, uh, starting employment classes. Um, we've begun restarting educational classes, resuming those. Um, we are following department of health guidelines in connection with that. Um, young people who are coming into the shelter for the first time and there are there are young people who are seeking safe shelter and they're coming to us they they're quarantining so um, our you know I saw our, our, our director of, of the health health center recently and he and things are going well on that front no cases zero cases um, but we still have young people quarantining for precautionary measures um, taking temperatures for folks coming in and into the building staff or young people. Um, and then, and then some of those appointments with mental health care professionals, um, you know, those are, those are, those are happening, um, because they need to. Um, and then, our, like our moms and babies programming, um, you know, I know we had a, we had a mom who was positive and now, um, she recovered and she's okay. And her baby is okay. Um, and so the shelter's slowly kind of picking up. Um, it's still tough because um, the job market here in New York City, the economy is still somewhat stalled. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really my role at this point is, is to really make sure all those people can do what they do. So, so the where, where my lane, if you will, or, or where I'm focused is on doing outreach to supporters like yourself to other folks, um, board members, some of the key decision makers who, who were involved in really guiding us through this crisis, like our board of directors or major donors. Um, and then, and then also with, with a lot of companies, um, that, that support Covenant House at different levels. Um, companies that have been just really generous to our, towards our COVID-19 relief efforts. And, and then, um, and also companies who have an interest in some of the social justice and anti-racism, um, you know, uh, initiatives that were that we've been undertaking. Um, and so, um, like I, I always say, like when I started the Covenant House and after I went to social work school, like the first half of my career, I was working with kids, and now I, I, I do see kids. Like as you know, like we we spent time with some kids a couple months back. It seems like forever now, but we. We, we, and we're going to do that again soon. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
it's it's now my day to day really involves um, working with folks who who can help us, you know, by way of resources, who can help us by way of connecting us to the people that we need to to help with ventilation in the shelter to to kind of achieve that you know optimum ventilation to try to minimize the likelihood of infection. Um, you know, the, the people that can help us with um, whether it's installing, you know, dividers, plexiglass dividers, you know, at those point of contacts, you know, through when you kind of, and when young people are entering the shelter to, um, to those groups of, of advocates who are, who are gearing up to, to do another virtual sleep out and, um, you know, and raise a half a million bucks for the, uh, for the mission. So um, it's really, um, now my day to day is really kind of uh, consists of just that, you know, yeah. talk, talking to those good folks. Yeah. And supporting everybody. I mean, even the supporting your team. Right. And I'm sure mm -hmm. just because you were in, you were in the trenches of doing the social work um, that, that must give you an incredible insight into how you can best support the team. Because similar to how you were talking about how your wife kind of holds you up on some of the tough days it sounds like your role is to to do that as well, along with <clears throat> many other things, right? Ra raising funds and coordination of everything. Yeah, like I, I think about like those, you know, those folks who were in there, you know, in the morning, evening and overnight shifts who were there kind of making sure that our young people have everything they need from soap and toothpaste to, to making sure they can get to class on time and to make sure, you know, help them with that application to Starbucks or Home Depot or wherever. Um, or if they lose their job or, you know, and how, you know, how do they, how do they get it back? Or if they're, if they're feeling some, you know, if they're, if they're visiting some trauma, you know, that went on in childhood and, and um, you know, something that they can't quite shake and it's just, um, they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, or if they've, you know, if they've, uh, you know, if they started falling into to drugs and alcohol, you know, like a lot of our kids are coming house, very small rates of, of young people who use hard drugs, but, you know, things like marijuana, alcohol, like things like you and I did, um, uh, you know, that that's also, that can be dangerous. You know, that is dangerous, uh, especially for, for young, for some of our young people. So, you know, how do we get them help for that, you know, and um, to get them to where they're in a better way. Right. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's uh, th that those are the, th those people who are doing that work. Um, those, they're the essential workers. And, and so for me, it's about, um, you know, my job is to, if for, in order for them to do that, that we're going to need, you know, we hire them for a reason because they're good at what they do, right? Like this isn't, this is a profession. We need people who have certain attributes and virtues that can do this and skills. And so um, I need to get the organization what it needs. And, and most of the time that's money yeah. um, because that's how, that's how this happens. So I'm not, my objective isn't to, isn't to raise millions of dollars. My objective is to, is to help Covenant House New York shelter 2000 kids a year. Um, it just so happens that's in order to achieve that in order to help those young people, um, get escape the street, help those young people, you know, live a healthy way. Um, we're, we're going to need, we need millions of dollars to accomplish that. Yeah. Yeah. And what, um, just to go a little deeper, are you good on time? You've got a couple more minutes. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm good. I, I think. I'm, uh, yeah. You you sure? Okay. Mm -hmm. I I think it would be amazing to walk someone through what it's like for, like what 
if you, if you're coming to the covenant house as a no no human, the <laughs> to covenant house if, to the cub if, right yeah. yeah what what's that process like you're a kid on the street you're for whatever reason you're homeless what what is that journey coming in, coming in and asking for help we're open 24 hours a day seven days a week every day right christmas eve new year's eve thanksgiving the, the, the doors are open we're staffed uh we have security um and and so a young person comes in um they're scared um they oftentimes have a preconceived notion of of where it is they are um we, we uh, kids come to us all different channels but it's mostly through word of mouth right and it's also through google searches like search engine results and um because if you type homeless youth shelter covenant house will be up there um amongst the results and so but mostly word of mouth i mean it's like uh covenant house is like the rich carlton of, of, of homeless youth shelters in new york city and so they're coming in but they they, they probably have had some experience with some kind of um institution whether it's foster care or diagnostic treatment center or group home or adult shelter, the alternative for the, you know, we serve kids who are under 21. So they're all 17, between 17 and 21, mostly 18, 19, 20 year olds. And so they're coming in and, and they might have an infant or toddler in tow. Um, and then, you know, the stakes are higher. Um, but they're, so they're afraid, they're apprehensive. They're, they're you know, they, they're not, they're not, they're uncomfortable. Um, and so we know all this and, and what we've learned is, is that the best response is, um, is to ask, would, would you like a hot plate of food? Right. Um, would you like to, would you like to put your stuff in a locker? Would you like a lock in a locker? And would you like me to show you where you can go into a private bathroom to shower with a lock on the door? Like you want to, um, you know, get clean and get get yourself together. Uh, or do you want to? Do you want to? Would you like? Would you like a a, be, a clean bed and a, a safe place to sleep for a few hours before we talk or before you get something to eat or before you do your laundry? It's not like um, like cause we we did a deep dive into what the what the system is like and the system is like you know name, date of birth, last known address, right? Um, and so we didn't, we didn't want to do that. And so, um, it starts with that it starts with, are you hungry? Are you tired? Um, and, uh, or, or, or do you want, do you want to wash your clothes? Do you want to take a shower or whatever? And so, um, and then after that, um, it's, uh, it's a couple of, we do need to know some things, right? Like we need to know, you know, what's going on. Um, you know, are you safe? Is someone looking for you? You know, some, cause sometimes that can happen too. It's not uncommon for us to have like pimps waiting across the street or something like that. And so um, we want to Waiting across the street, like literally they'll follow the kids to the shelter. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll be hanging outside, hanging out across the street. They'll be trying to poach young people. Like it used to be Backpage, but Covenant House was key in legislation to shut down Backpage. Um, that happened last year. But like, you know, Craigslist, you know, there's some, there's some real really twisted people out there who, who are doing things like they'll post like pictures of money and like say if you if you're a young lady at covenant house respond to this message and you know I, you know you can make a lot of money and this is all um this is all part of the reality that a third of 
close to a third of, of young people who are experiencing homeless, young people who have spent time on the streets have, have been manipulated into, into sex trafficking or have been trafficked and who have, you know, really used their bodies as a commodity to survive. Um, yeah, it's awful. Um, but it's, it's real, it's there, you know, it's kind of, it aligns a lot with a lot of street gang stuff, you know, um, it takes different forms. It's, it can be sophisticated and it could also kind of be, um, you know, more of that kind of street gang kind of mentality where it's, um, not as organized, but it's still the same. Um, and so, um, there, there's, you know, a lot, a lot, another large percentage of young people have suffered child abuse that, you know, some form of trauma in the home and the familial environment. And so there's, um, we have to be aware of that. And so in, in the part of the, you know, the welcoming process, you know, often referred to as the intake process, it's, there's a definite kind of, um, fragile procedure that, that, that involves kind of getting that in the information you need to know, like name and age. Because if, you know, we can't, we can't, we don't accept young people who are 22, 23. That, that might change in New York City, but, but it, it varies in state to state. But in New York City, it's, that's our cutoff right now. So is there a reason for that cutoff? It's just the kind of capacity. Yeah. Um, and then the way the continuum is set up, it's also, yeah, some of the licensure stuff. Like, um, I mean, operations like ours are a public-private partnership. I mean, we, we, we depend on, on, on your dollars, on, on you know, hundreds of families and, and their contributions, but we also depend on some, some help from city government, state government, federal government stuff. Um, and, so, um, and so when they come in, they're, 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 you know, they get those immediate needs met, addressed right away, and then, um, and then it's, they're assigned to a floor. Now, if they're, if they're, if they're transgender and they, it, it's, a, it's, or they, or they have a certain, um, you know, if they identify, um, that 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 that's the floor they're assigned to, right? So if they identify as as uh, male, that's the and that's where they're comfortable. That's where they're assigned, um, and then um, and then we're going to give it forty eight hours before we're going to go a, a bit more in depth um, into into the uh, basic assessment. Yeah. Um, and then, and then also, also if they're if they have if they're a mom with a baby, they're assigned to the moms and babies program. So boys, boys are with boys, girls are with girls, moms are with moms and babies, and obviously boys can't go on the girls' floor and vice versa. That's like um, one so, of the most intense floors that I've seen too. Is which one the with the moms and babies? Yeah, it, I, yeah, I just it, really I remember I you you took us through, or you had somebody take uh, my wife and I through, right? And uh, that was a I, I felt that one in the heart. And when I was a kid, my mom was in a shelter with myself and my sister for a little bit. And when I was really young oh, wow. and some, it, I, I don't even remember that much of it. I remember coming out of it. Um, and to experience that is, uh, that was a real eye opener for me. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I um, I got to confess, like I knew you and Anna had just had your third kid. And so I, I intentionally brought you up to that floor because I knew once Anna saw that, I would, uh, we'd, we'd get a big donation out of it. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know, we got to do what we got to do. But, but um, you got a lifetime um, customer on that. That's right. Uh, but it's, um, 
Yeah, man, that, that, that was, that's my experience too, dude. Like, like those moms, um, you know, that's, and especially being a parent, like, you know, relatively new parents like us. I mean, um, you know, I've, I've been at it now over five years, uh, and, uh, I got baptized five years ago and, um, and you got baptized eight years ago. Um, when I see these young women pushing their babies in their strollers and I, and I think about the fact that, you know, I compare, I just can't help but compare like, like there's moments, you know, you, you, earlier today you talked about how the two kids, you know, it's chaotic and then three kids, it's just like Armageddon. But like my wife, um, who's a master, um, yeah, two kids is a lot, right? And like five o'clock, 5.30, uh, dinner time, bath, it's the witching hour. Yeah, and shit gets crazy. It gets crazy, man. And then, and then it's like, you know, and then there, but there's times where it's like, we can, I can tag my mother, my mother-in-law comes in. Right. And there's times when my mom comes in. Um, and there's like, you know, he, he goes, my oldest is going to day camp. And so, but these moms, there's, there's the only person they can tag in is the, is the staff on the floor, you know? And then, and there's, you know, when you're with small kids and there's, they're, having a temper tantrum or they're really small and they're crying you need to tag someone in man you need that and so it's like when now it's just it's a bit more raw and, and sensitive for me because um uh because i have little ones of my own you know and i know that um it's tough and i also know that like um a lot of like a, and we've, we've been focusing on this at covenant house for decades but um the the victim of the abuse can in studies show, clinical studies show that, that the victim is at high risk for becoming the, the aggressor, right? And, and of kind of replaying that, that maladaptive, that, that destructive and harmful and unhealthy behavior. And so um, a lot of times it's like, they just don't know, like they just don't realize it. You know, it's like educational, it's kind of like an intersection of mental health and educational level. I, I was like, I think, um, I started at the Cove, I was like 23, 24. And then by the time I was like um, 29, 30, um, I'm the director of the Moms and Babies program. You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not married. I couldn't really even hold down a girlfriend for too long. Um, but uh, I'm working with this team of, of youth advisors and clinicians and educators who were working on um, making sure our moms and their kids have what they need, man. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's just been such a wild ride, but it's, but it's, um, um, and, but yeah, it's, it's, um, that's, that's, the stakes are higher there. You know, kids learn their ABCs at Covenant House, they learn how to walk at Covenant House. Um, they're, they're going through that early stage uh, developmental stuff at Covenant House. And so um, it's important. I, you know, I've also had like, I've met adults who are in their forties who were born at Covenant House. Wow. You know? Yeah, man. And it's like, um, I met a guy whose who's, uh, father um, was at Covenant House and um, he spoke at an event a couple of years back and um, you know, he took the stage and he said, uh, he introduced himself and he said, he was uh, you know, he was an executive at an investment bank and he said, you know, this is what I do for a living and I live here. and um, and he said, Hi, you're probably wondering, what do I have to do with Covenant House? Well, I never, I never lived at Covenant House, but my father did. You know, the, just the whole room kind of just like, you just, you just could hear the, everyone go, 
you know what I mean? And yeah. then uh, and then he dropped it, man. And he explained that it was if it wasn't for Covenant House and being there for his father, um, he probably never would have been born, right? And and he never would have had the relationship with his dad like he has today. And so, um, I mean that that's super powerful. You know, it's like over tw you know twenty years in, um, I've been to I've been to uh, I've been to some funerals. You know, I've probably been to about five funerals. Yeah. kids who, who, who lived with us for a while and um and that was that's terrible and there's it was every single funeral i went to there were more staff at the funeral than family yeah and there were funerals where it was just covered out staff wow um and uh but i've been to college graduations too like i've been to um you know i've been to there was this young lady uh, who was with us who I keep in touch with. Her, her name is Hannah. And, uh, and she gra graduated from the College of Mount St. Vincent up in the Bronx uh, a couple of years back. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just incredible, man, to like, you know, to watch some of that, you know. Um, it's, but it's it's tough work. But when you, when you have like moments of victory like that, um, yeah, it's just worthwhile. It's just great, you know. Yeah, that's incredible. It's and you guys do it in such a such a short period of time. It, when yeah. the, when the kid you were talking about when the kids come into the program, and I know yeah. it's only like two or three weeks that you have them. Yeah, it's like thirty days. You have thirty days to get them employed, or well, I shouldn't. That's I'm getting ahead of ourselves. Like to get them address the immediate address the obviously the immediacy, safe place to sleep, food, uh, clothing. But then, like, get them over to the health center for a full comprehensive physical to get them, you know, to speak to a social worker, um, maybe a psychiatrist if necessary, um, address this stuff, and then get them in the, get them to a place where they're going on job interviews, secure a job, get a paycheck, and then advance to, like, the next stage of the continuum. It can stretch to, like, six to 60 days to two months. But um, for me, the problem with the continuum is that and I, you know, I've kind of been looking at this for too long, I guess, but um, there's just, uh, that's just not enough time. Um, it's for some kids it is, and some kids kind of, they grind through and they're just about it, um, but, but not all do. And some are slow learners like you and I. And um, it's, uh, I don't know, man. It's just like, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, it's the way the system's set up. It's so, it, the employment focus is good, but it's like, some, part of me thinks that, I think as you know, part of this is being a parent. It's like education is everything, and mental health is even before education. You know, it starts with mental health because if you have a learning disability, if you have a de developmental disability, if you have early onset schizophrenia, early onset major depressive disorder, bipolar one, whatever it is, that's going to affect how you learn, right? And that's going to affect your ability to get a high school equivalency diploma. It's going to affect your ability to enroll in college, to 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 advance in college, to be able to handle that curriculum and the way the system is set up, you need those pieces of paper. Like, uh, you know, there are success stories and, and you, we all know them and they, they, you know, you know, it's not, but not everyone, you know, we're not playing those odds, right? We're not playing that game. We're, 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 we need those pieces of paper and we need as many pieces of paper as we could get because of who are, our young people are coming from communities of poverty where the, you know, the fact of the matter is if they don't get a high school equivalency diploma, their life expectancy is shorter. I mean, that's a fact. Like, right. you know, everyone who's listening to this can go can Google that. Like uh, people who don't have their high school equivalency diploma 
are, are don't live as long as people who do. And people who um, enroll in college live statistically live longer than people who don't enroll in college and people who graduate college live longer than people. So um, it's life and death. It should be education. It, there's no, you know, with like human services, at least, you know, the, the digital world has addressed a lot of it. But when it comes down to it, it's that eyeball to eyeball connection. It's there's no Uber for social work. You know, it's like you see stuff like, you know, it's 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 not the meditation app isn't it. You know, like I use that stuff. That's cool. But it's um, we need to you know, there still hasn't been any supplement for that individual attention um, and and that and, the, and also. Um, the way the system's set up, there's I, there's just not enough emphasis on education. It's not there's not enough time that's allotted to to get young people to a place where they're um, advancing in their educations or immersed in their educations like they should be. At, at it, when when we're talking about homeless young adults, like you know eighteen to twenty one, they're you know the priority should be for them to get their for them to get their high school equivalency diploma and enroll at college, uh, you know, whether they finish college, you know, I can let that go, but I hope they do, but, but let's get them, let's get them on that track. And, um, and so that's where I struggle. That's where I wonder, you know, and I mean, what I mean by that is like, if a young person gets a job, it's great, but you know, if they don't have their high school equivalency diploma, I feel like that's like kind of like a time bomb. Yeah. And we got to We got to address that too, you know? For sure. Yeah. I mean, as someone, <clears throat> I, I got my GED and I'm thankful to my, <clears throat> excuse me, to my mom for pushing me to do that. Uh, and even the GED statistics are not great, right? I mean, there's a, there's a few key factors and that's, that is definitely one of them. And I think part of what I'm, I've been thinking about this as well, I think part of it is uh, just an expectation that society has met and how can you change that expectation and that was a big part of me realizing that I can send a message out that don't let yourself become that statistic, right? Mm -hmm. You're only becoming that statistic because you're choosing to. If you get to a yeah. job and someone's like, hey, you can't, you want to move up and you can't move up because you don't have a high school degree, which I've been told many times at many of the jobs that I worked early on, that's a signal for you to go improve your education. Right. And it's mm -hmm. not just about like, not everybody's great at school. Not everybody wants to go through it. You just got to tough it out sometimes. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I hear you. And it's about that self-determination, right. And that, that self-empowerment and kind of like saying, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to exert my will here. Um, and sometimes, and, and, you know, I, I always, I always, I, you know, if I could see an angle on that working with a young person, I usually try to take it. Um, and but it's but it's also tough for them too uh, because you know they are resilient they they are but if um, you know if there's a mental health diagnosis that hasn't been identified then we are pissing in the wind man yeah um, you know that's got to be addressed um, you know I've I've had situations where it's not and and it doesn't it doesn't um, it doesn't just doesn't end well. You know, and um, and it's tough because there's stigma. Um, you know, there's just kind of a real um, apprehensive kind of response to a lot of like the, you know, it's because like these like a lot of these kids are growing up in, in situations and 
they don't want to talk about their feelings, you know, and it's not, it's, it's, the, it's not just the culture of poverty. Like, you know, I mean, um, it was it's true too with my household, you know, it's like, it wasn't something that was really embraced. Um, but it, it could be, it could really mean that it could be a life or death situation. You know, it could really be something that's a, that the gravity could be extreme. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I know I'm talking a lot and identifying the problem, but, um, I do, and I, and I think, I think there's a there's a bit of a shift towards, and I, there is definitely a shift on mental health, but I still don't know if it's been, if it's too, if, in terms of like the whole homelessness continuum. I know at Covenant House we've bulked up our clinical programming, um, we've increased the number of licensed social workers that uh, we have a lot of LCSWs, licensed clinical social workers, um, and those folks they, they they have to like take some ridiculous amount of training to get that license. I'm a licensed master social worker. Um, you got to have those people because um, you know they know they know they know the DSM four. They they you know they're they're qualified. They're skilled. Um, but I think it's also making sure that we really give everyone that that attention, that assessment to to make sure that we're we're addressing it all, so that they can kind of have like that clean that clear runway. You know, yeah. Because if they if they don't, man. Um, you know, you know, bad things can happen and it's going to be even worse if there's like a baby involved, you know, a little kid, a child. So. Right. Yeah. The cycle just continues. Right. Yeah. I've yeah. like, sometimes like I've wondered, like I tried to like kick, kick out of the box and be like, so, you know, cause like a lot of technology has like this individual kind of accommodation, right? Like you order the Uber and the Uber comes for you or the Airbnb or the WeWork. Um, or like the, um, what's like the task rabbit, you know, you need someone to put together your Ikea stuff. You can, you know, someone's out there with like a, a cordless drill and the know-how and, uh, you know, it's, um, we, you see like the amount of money that's being spent on mental health initiatives in New York city and beyond. It's like, you, I mean, you sit there and wonder, like, it's, it's almost to the point where, um, you wonder like, you know, with the, the close to a billion dollars. I think the budget is in New York City. I think I'm going to be pretty close if you fact check me. Um, and uh, like you could maybe pay for like, um, I don't know what the math is, but you might be able to pay like to each homeless person have their own individual like therapist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's like, uh, you know, I think there's something, you know, there's something that we have to figure out, you know, to make sure that kind of like, because like it's the people, you know, you talked about coaches. You know, it's your mom, right? It's my mom. Um, it's my dad. It's other people too, though, man. It's other people too. Like it's for me, it was. It's like, um, you know, Jim White, Kevin Singleton, um, you know, Jack Cullinane, Nick Nolan, um, like these guys that like, they're just riders, you know, and they're like older. Some of them are older, some of them are younger, but they're just, um, you know, they're there. You know, they're there to kind of. You know, you know, if sometimes to shine a beacon for me, you know, or, or they're, I'm in, I'm on the ground, man. I'm in, and I'm covered in like smoke and fog and I don't know which way to go. And I'm taking fire from all directions. And it's like, you know, one of these guys comes up in like the Huey um, and it's like, you know, go, go east, dude, go east to the high ground. You know, I got you. And it's like, um, you know, these kids, these people, like a lot of people don't have that. You know, they don't have those people yeah. you know, up there. They don't have those people in the chopper kind of up there. And, um, 
you know, providing that that cover. Uh, and so, you know, we got to figure out a way through society, through through public-private partnership to provide that. And so, you know, Covenant House does some of that. Um, but it's like, um, I mean, it's tough, man. It's just, uh, it's really tough. You know, I, I, um, I'm not sure what the solution is, you know. Yeah, well, you guys are actively working on it every day, right? And I think, um, I know I know you have to get going and mm-hmm. on, you know, on sort of an ending note, I just wanted to say how much of a uh, an innovator I think you are in your space. Just what, I mean, that thought process that you just laid out is like you're, you're focused on kicking outside of the box so that you can find better solutions. And I think that's, um, it's a beautiful thing. I think it's indicative of who you are. I think it's indicative of, what the cove represents and uh i don't know if you have any finishing thoughts that you'd like to share you know tell people where where to go you know where how they can help or any any other thoughts um you know we don't have to stop just abruptly but i I know you're on a time limit it's all good uh covenanthouse.org c-o-v-e-n-a-n-t-h-o-u-s-e.org come check us out uh get connected uh, make a donation, whatever you can afford. Uh, no such thing as as a donation that's too small. And um, yeah, man, just get part, you know, connect to the movement, be a part of it. You won't regret it. Change your life. And uh, I love you, bro. I love Thanks you for, too, man. Uh, I, I appreciate the time. Me, yeah, of course. Yeah, it, man, this no was doubt. a, I, I knew this one was going to be fire. I'm going to hit stop on the record, but don't close your browser, please. Okay. Yeah. No Thanks. That's it, folks. What an incredible conversation with Todd. Uh, I always enjoy speaking with him and hearing more about his story. I feel like each time I talk to him, I hear more about his background, and I'm always just humbled and impressed by by what he does. Again, check him out at covenanthouse.org. I appreciate Todd and, and his time. Shout out to Chris Williams for helping produce the show, and stay tuned. Episodes that are coming up. Professor Fabio Coelho, a Henzo Gracie jiu-jitsu black belt out of New York. Uh, he's my teacher early on in my jiu-jitsu journey. I'm still pretty early in it. But everything I learned, I, I really absorbed what he did. He's, uh, we're going to have some fun on that episode. And then we've also got coming up Sean Perryman, who is a friend of mine from college who's running for lieutenant governor of Virginia. Those are going to be some Fuego episodes I love you guys. Appreciate everybody who's listening. Stay tuned.